This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Coolindodromius zabicolicus and some dinosaur news. So in the news, Nathan Mervold, an inventor and Microsoft former CEO, believes that dinosaurs might help us fight malnutrition. And there's a video that's been posted around the internet and he talks about how in researching dinosaurs and going on digs and really becoming very interested in dinosaurs, he tried to model their growth patterns. So he would look at, for instance, T-Rex, where there are roughly 30 specimens that he had access to their size and information about them. And he would try to model, based on the ages that they were supposed to be, what their growth pattern looked like. And while he was doing it, he actually corrected a few of the scientific papers that showed growth rates that didn't really match the fossil record. But another interesting thing he discovered after having a discussion with Bill Gates is that it could be used to simulate the growth of a child as well as a dinosaur. So what he did is he decided that he could use the same type of model where you monitor dinosaurs or look at a few points of dinosaur age and size and extrapolate and interpolate their growth pattern and do the same thing with kids in developing countries. And this way you can compare things like how much food they're getting versus what kind of growth they have, which is a really good way to show how much malnutrition impacts a kid and at what point they need good food and you know, how much food and all that kind of stuff, which is a good data-based way to show how malnutrition is affecting the world. So it's very interesting. And it's a good example of how people talk about, you know, dinosaurs and they've been extinct for so long and what could you possibly learn from them and none of it's relevant. But when you're researching any sort of scientific endeavor, a lot of times there's unexpected knowledge that comes out of it. In other news, in Australia, specifically the resort on Queensland's Sunshine Coast, a 30-foot model of a T-Rex, which is a staple at the resort, caught on fire. They think it was an electrical fire. The T-Rex is nicknamed Jeff. Jeff the T-Rex has been on the re- as part of the resort since December 2012. It was a small fire, and they're still deciding whether or not to make a replacement. 
Yeah, so it looks like the skeleton of the animatronic dinosaur is still pretty much intact, but all of the sculpting and paint and everything that was outside of it that gave it its character all burned off. For those of you listening on a smartphone, you may be following Mobile World Congress 2015. Mobile World Congress is an annual event that usually takes place in Europe, and it's where a lot of the major cell phone manufacturers release their new phones. So this year, HTC released their re-camera and to go along with the new HTC M9, and the re-camera has another version, which they call the re-dinosaur, and it's pretty cute. It's basically, the re-camera is basically a little periscope-shaped camera that is intended to be an accessory to the HTC One, and because of the shape, it kind of looks like a brachiosaurus neck, you know, similar to a periscope. So they made a little dinosaur body for it so that it sits on four legs and its tail, and then they routed a cord through the tail so that it'll work as a charging station as well as a camera. It's pretty cute, and it might be a useful little gadget for a dinosaur lover. And last but not least in the news, there's another new dinosaur game called Dino System, and this is a Kickstarter project created by Caprabyte Studios, and the reports of it are kind of interesting. So it's an all-overhead view game, if you think of the likes of like the early civilization games and things like that. So you see like the tops of a bunch of dinosaurs and the tops of trees and lakes and things. And the idea behind it is that it's an open sandbox single-player simulation game that goes through all sorts of weather patterns and things. So it'll rain and new lakes will form and then it'll dry out and the dinosaurs will have to roam around and found, find new water and things. And so there's one mode where you play, like, they call it God mode, where basically you control everything. So you can make lo- new little baby dinosaurs, and you can see how the dinosaurs interact and the predator versus prey models and all that. And then you can also play as a human running around with, like, a bow and arrow, it looks like. Um, and you're trying to survive in a landscape full of dinosaurs, which looks super difficult, and you have to worry about getting water. But then if you need water, you obviously have to go to these drinking holes where there are lots of large predators waiting to eat you and things. And even in one of the little intro videos, they show a a man or a little character from an overhead view shooting at a triceratops with a bow and arrow while he's running away from it backwards, and the triceratops is gaining on it. And it almost looks like the original Grand Theft Auto game or something from overhead. It's pretty weird. But I think that God mode where you get to control everything and kind of play around with the dinosaur sounds pretty fun. You may be interested to know that the plot and the terrain are based on the Hell Creek formation from the late Cretaceous. So there is some scientific interesting aspects to it. So we'll be interested to see what it looks like if it finally comes out. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. 
Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As we mentioned, our dinosaur of the day is Calindodromius zebicolicus. Kalindodromius lived during the Jurassic in what's now Siberia's Kalinda River, and its name means Kalinda River Running Dinosaur. It was discovered in what we think is pronounced Zabaikaliski Cray in Siberia, uh, which is how it got its species name, Zabaikalikus. So that's in eastern Siberia. Kalindodromius lived about 160 million years ago, and it was small, about the size of a turkey or five feet long, and walked on two legs and had short arms. It had scales on its tail and shins and short bristles on its head and back. And like other early ornithischians or neo-ornithischians, it could run. But the biggest news of finding Kalindodromius was the fossil feathers. Previously, most of the good preserved feathered dinosaurs were on theropods. A paleontologist at the University of Edinburgh, Steve Brusate, discussed that a common ancestor of all dinosaurs may have had feathers. The idea isn't that new, but he thinks that these new plant-eating dinosaur fossils found in Siberia and China with their filament-like feathers are some good evidence as to dinosaurs having feathers. Other scientists have argued whether dinosaurs all shared a common ancestor with feathers or whether they evolved independently. So again, before the main dinosaurs that were known to have feathers were theropods, which are the ancestors of modern birds, and in China at least five types of feathered dinosaurs have been discovered in the past 20 years, but they were mostly of raptors, which again are the dinosaurs that evolved into modern birds. According to Pascal Godefroy, who was the lead author on the study describing Calindodromius, Ornithischian dinosaurs had previously been found with simple bristles or quills, 
but scientists weren't convinced that they were really feathers. They believed that the new specimen of Colindodromius finally, quote, clinches it, and all dinosaurs had feathers, or at least potential to sprout feathers. When a new fossil like Colindodromius is discovered, a lot of times you'll see clickbaity headlines like, maybe all dinosaurs had feathers and things like that. But this is really not a very accurate depiction. It's not like we've now discovered another feathered dinosaur and it shows that everything might have had feathers because, like we talked about in earlier episodes, sauropods, especially titanosaurs, would have had a lot of difficulty dissipating all of their heat that large animals typically have, and feathers would have made the problem worse. So if you look at modern large animals, they typically don't have very much insulating hair or feathers. So like an elephant or rhino isn't covered in hair, whereas something smaller is because it needs the insulation more than the large animal that's producing all the heat. Calindodromius had feathers on its arms and legs, and each feather had six or seven filaments joined together, so it resembled the down feathers of modern chickens. And this find also shows that these protofeathers may have been part of earlier members of their clad. Kind of going along with what Garrett mentioned earlier, smaller dinosaurs were probably covered in feathers, but then as they grew up, they lost them because they no longer needed the extra insulation. Yeah, it's similar to how some birds have warmer down feathers when they're young, and then as they grow up, they lose the down in place of larger feathers that aren't as insulating. So that may have been true in dinosaurs, too, which is kind of interesting. So you might have had cute little sauropods covered in fuzz. I don't know. <laughs> so a little bit of an explanation on protofeathers. Basically, their bristle-like structure is instead of what you'd think of now as a feather. So... A protofeather is almost like a hair on an animal, and their exact purpose isn't entirely clear. So they may have been used for display or as a bit of a heating blanket, but it's not really clear exactly how or exactly when they evolved. So just to emphasize why finding these fossil feathers on Calindodromius is so special is because Maria McNamara, who is a researcher at the University College Cork, said that feathers and hair are rarely preserved in fossils because scavengers tend to remove them from the dead animal. So one reason why these fossil feathers may have been preserved is because there were a lot of volcanoes in the area. Although scientists found a bunch of calindodromius bones, this does not mean that they all died in a mass catastrophic event. Uh, most of their bones that they found were of juveniles, so they probably died separately from one another. But what probably happened is when they died, they fell to the bottom of the lake where they were found used to be a lake, and then they were covered in ash after an eruption. And this ash preserved their feather imprints. So obviously this is a roundabout process of fossilizing softer material, which is why fossils of feathers are pretty uncommon. So on Calindodromius, there are three types of feathers. The first type consists of the hair-like filaments that we talked about being proto-feathers, and those were on the trunk, neck, and head of Calindodromius. They were about three centimeters long, and they resembled what they call dino fuzz, <laughs> which has already been seen on theropods. The second type of feather were in groups of six or seven downward-projecting feathers, and they were up to one and a half centimeters long and originated on a base plate. 
So these were present on the upper arm and thigh of calendodromias and are also present on theropods. The third type of feather is the one that's unique to calendodromias. It's the one that's found on the lower legs of calendodromias, and it consists of bundles of six or seven ribbon-like structures, and they were up to two centimeters long. Each of the ribbon structures is consisted of about 10 parallel filaments up to 100 micrometers or one-tenth of a millimeter wide. So the original calendodromias research was published in a paper on science called A Jurassic Ornithischian Dinosaur from Siberia with both feathers and scales. And later there was a comment on a Jurassic Ornithischian Dinosaur from Siberia with both feathers and scales. And in that comment there were claims by Lingham Solaire that the feathers were actually just degraded collagen. But Pascal Godefroy, the original researcher, said that this critique failed to explain the phenomenon around the body. Basically, the comment peer review piece described that some of the feathers were in a random orientation and could be compared to degraded collagen and scales that we see in other species and in other examples. But there were still a lot of feathers that were oriented in an arranged pattern, and those were not explained by the response piece. And all of this is found in response to a comment on a Jurassic Ornithischian dinosaur from Siberia with both feathers and scales. So it's kind of an interesting back and forth going on between the scientists, and that's what people mean when they talk about peer review articles. So Calindodromius definitely didn't use feathers to fly, and it's unclear what it used the feathers for. So we mentioned it may have been used for insulation or display. So as the title of the original article mentioned, Calindodromius definitely had scales as well as feathers, which is a little bit unique. It had arched scales that formed rows on its tail, but it also had feathers all over the place. Just as there's three types of feathers, there's also three types of scales. There's overlapping hexagonal scales that are up to three and a half millimeters in diameter that are present in the lower shins. There's also small, round, non-overlapping scales that are less than a millimeter in the cross section that cover the hands, ankles, and feet. And the top of the tail is covered by five rows of arched rectangular scales that are each one to two centimeters. So the scale surface was smooth and not that thick, less than 0.1 millimeters. So as we mentioned, the Calindodromius family is Neoornithischia, which means new ornithischians, and it's a clad of the dinosaur order Ornithischia. Neoornithischia was first named in 1985, and they're united by having a thicker layer of asymmetrical enamel on the inside of their lower teeth. So a lot of times the things that actually define a group of dinosaurs are a little bit obtuse like this. But the teeth wore unevenly with chewing and developed sharp ridges that allowed the neoornithischians to break down tougher plant food than other dinosaurs. So that's really what makes them their own unique group. And our fun fact is that about half of all the known dinosaur species have been discovered in the past 20 years. And that's why some people have described the era we're in now as the golden age of dinosaurs. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. From now until March 15th, we're doing a big dinosaur podcast giveaway. 
No purchase is necessary, but to enter, go to inodino.com slash podcast giveaway, where you can sign up for our newsletter, leave a review of the podcast on iTunes, view our Facebook page, and tweet us or follow us on Twitter at inodino. Prizes include a $50 gift card to iTunes, a free copy of Dr. Anthony J. Martin's book, Dinosaurs Without Bones, and a free copy of the documentary, Dinosaur 13. Until next time.